This morning's passage is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is God's word. It's true, and it's given out of his love. You guys can be seated. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Brandon. Great to see everyone this morning. Welcome again to Missio Day. Uh, we are going to do something a little different this week than normal. Normally, we study through whole books of the Bible, and this week we're going to do our annual vision sermon for the upcoming year. Uh, we, had, we had Matt Swanson preach for us last week. It was a great message. We're all grateful for him bringing the word. Uh, and so this week, we're going to be talking about what we feel God has for us in the upcoming year. And then next week, Perry is going to preach us a sermon on reconciliation and forgiveness and what it means to live well with one another, to bear with one another in love. But, uh, but what, what we've been doing for, I guess it's been five years now, is the first week in January, we take a second to, to pause from our regular series and study through books of the Bible. So just focus on what we feel it is that God is calling us to be in the upcoming year. It, it's this idea of a, of a, a casting a vision for the for the upcoming year, and when I uh, before I got into ministry, when I was a carpenter, I thought a vision sermon would be more like um, you know William Wallace giving the Braveheart speech, or you know, Maximus and uh, Gladiator giving the speech, and or Aragorn in uh, Lord of the Rings giving the speech. You know, they're always on horseback. There's always a lot of people behind them with swords that are willing to to charge into battle because of this rousing and manly speech that they gave that just gets everyone ready to to go to war. And that's kind of what I thought uh, a vision speech would be like. But once you get into ministry and you realize that we're actually called to, to model ourselves after Jesus, um, and so it's, it's more of this model of, of the shepherd, the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to pursue the one lost sheep. So, so instead, of, instead of Braveheart, it's more like Forrest Gump running back into the jungle to go find Bubba. That, that's kind of what, more of what a vision for our church is. Um, so if you're looking for William Wallace, you should go somewhere else. We're more like Forrest Gump here at Missy O'Day. But um, the, the reason that's important because last year at this time when we did this vision sermon, we, we introduced this phrase that we've called our, our vision statement as a church. It's creating the space for all people to experience the love of Jesus through the love of his people. And that, that statement is just, it's so clunky. Like I, I hate saying that because it's so hard to get through. But the reason we're sticking with it is because it's as, it's as true as it is clunky. Okay, like the, the reason God has used our church, or I should say the way that God has used our church the most, is when people come here, they experience Jesus' love through the way that we as a community love each other. And I, I think that's how it's supposed to be. I think that's what a church should feel like, is this loving environment that points you not to our love, but beyond our love, to the love of Jesus that makes all of this possible. And again, that's, that's that good shepherd mindset that says, Jesus left the 99 to pursue the one lost sheep. 
And, and Missio Dei at her best has always been the place where that one lost sheep can come and experience the love of Jesus through the love of his people. And so this morning what we're doing is we're going to kind of just bring that vision statement back up to, in front of us and remind ourselves of why it is that we exist. Um, the thing with, with a vision statement like that is you have to continually keep it in front of you. Otherwise, our, our hearts are prone to wander from what it is we're, we're called to do. So if, if you think about it, if you're hiking in the mountains with a compass, you don't keep your eyes down at the compass as you walk because you would never end up where you're going. What you do is you use the compass to chart a course. You, you find a landmark off in the distance, and then you walk to that point. And that's what we're doing with this vision statement is we're saying that the course we are charting is we want to be that place where all people can experience the love of Jesus through the love of his people. Now, the problem is the, the reason why we need to have that course is because as humans, we naturally drift off of course. The, 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 uh, the concept is, is that we are saints in Christ. We have been made completely righteous, but we're at the same time sinners. St. Augustine has a, has a famous treatise he wrote on that concept that, that because of what Jesus did for us, our hearts are completely new, but at the same time, we still in this fallen world struggle with sin, which means my sin is going to bump up against your sin and we're going to have tension, we're going to have problems. And if we don't keep this vision of, of being that place where Jesus can love his people through our love for each other, we're, we're never going to stay on that course. Um, one, uh, there's an author named Eugene Peterson who, who, one of his quotes is that a church is a community of sinners where one sinner is called pastor. And, and for me personally, that's, I mean, everyone laughs knowingly. They're like, yeah, this is particularly true for this church. <laughs> Uh, but that, the reason I like that quote is it shows that we're, just, we're all on this equal footing where we need Jesus. Okay, the, the reason 2017 did not go the way that we wanted it to if we were to sketch the perfect year for ourselves, both as individuals and as a church, is because we are sinners in desperate need of God's grace. And so the only way 2018 is going to be a year where we see God work in our midst is if we embrace that fact that we all have this need for the gospel, this need for God's grace in our lives. And it begins with realizing that, that, that we are, are sinners and that our sin is what gets us off course. But it also, it's not just that. It, it's, it's charting that course of saying, you know, we are a great sinner. I am a great sinner. That's the correct grammar. But Jesus is a great Savior. He's an even better savior than I am, a sinner. And so as, as a church, as we, we chart this course, our prayer is that we, we would be able to dig deep into what it is that God has for us in 2018 and be able to be that community where people can experience Jesus' love. So I'm going to say a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your love for us, your grace for us, and for the fact that, that we can be in this, this uh, gym this morning celebrating all the ways that you have shown your goodness to us this past year and the many years before that. God, we, uh, we in our, our, our finiteness don't understand what is coming this year. We don't know what you have in store for us, but we know that you are a good God who loves us. We know that you have given us uh, a picture of yourself through the Bible, and we know that as we study it, we can get a, a clearer glimpse of, of who you are and what your plan is for our lives. And God, we just ask that we would submit our hearts to you today, that we would leave this place more in love with you than when we came. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so um, in two weeks, we're going to start a study through the book of Hebrews that'll take us 20 or 25 weeks, something like that. So this morning, though, we're going to be jumping all around a bunch of different verses. They'll be on the screen behind me, but they also will be on the table. If you don't have a Bible, the Bible's on the table 
They're, they're complete Bibles. They have all the verses we'll be reading from today. There's nothing, nothing taken out of there. Um, so we're going to start off with Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And if you've been around here or if you've been around any church really for any length of time, I'm sure you've heard this passage a dozen times. We actually just used it in one of our Advent sermons was this concept of God being with us. But the reason this sermon is so important is because when you talk about what is the vision of our church, that statement has to fall under the umbrella of what is God's vision for all the churches in the world, all the churches that have ever existed. There is a capital C church, the church universal, and then there's a lowercase c church, the church local. So Missio Dei, we are an expression of God's work globally. And so our vision falls under the vision that God has for all churches everywhere for all time. And that, that vision statement that God gives us is in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. And so let, let's just read that and then we'll talk about what it says. These are the last words of Jesus, his parting, marching orders for the people who would believe in him through the preaching of the word. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So like I said, we had, during Advent, we talked about this concept, this beautiful idea that God is always with us. Jesus left his spirit here to, to dwell with us forever until he returns and sets up his kingdom. But th this morning, what we're going to focus in on is this command that Jesus gave his disciples. He says that you are to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So, so the vision of all churches for all time is to be disciples of Jesus. Jesus is giving this message to his followers, his disciples. And he's saying that as my followers, your calling is to go make more followers of me. Okay, we're, we're to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. The reason we are here in this room 2,000 years after Jesus spoke these words is because that chain of events has gone forward throughout history of disciples of Jesus making more disciples of Jesus. And so, and so Jesus gives two different pictures of what it means to be a disciple. So, And, and uh, Perry was explaining to me some Greek concepts, and he, he pointed out that when you see a, a verb, and then there's two participles after this, this is really, no one wants to hear grammar this early in the morning, I know, but when it, the participles following the verb describe what the verb is. So he says, go make disciples, that's a verb, and then he gives two participles, and this is what it means to make a disciple. It's baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So those two prongs, baptizing and teachings, that's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, now baptism is the entry point into the faith. Once you confess your sin and you believe that Jesus is your Savior, you've put your faith into him, baptism is a sign that your heart has been washed clean. So you, when you're buried under the water, it's like you've died to your sin with Jesus. And when you come up out of the water, you've been resurrected to a new life. It's a picture of what happens in your heart. That's, baptism is the entry point into the faith. So when we talk about the Great Commission, a lot of times what we think is this first part. We're to go into the world and make disciples of people. And so we're just looking for people to give their lives to Jesus. But when we look at it that way, we're ignoring the second command here because disciple-making has two points. It's baptizing and it's teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. And that, that teaching is this ongoing aspect that it's a continual process where we will grow in understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. So we have not yet arrived in our discipleship. So when we say that we're sinners that bump into each other, what we're really saying is that we lack the maturity in our discipleship to not cause problems with each other. 
And so if you think about it, our, um, we have this vision, again, all, creating the space for all people to experience the love of Jesus through the love of his people. But not every church that you go visit feels that way. Okay, there's plenty of churches where the people are selfish and prideful and they will gossip about you behind your back. And there's plenty of churches where there is cliques that form and factions where it's people that you know, make the same amount of money hang out or have the same types of jobs or the same number of kids, those things. And these cliques form and they become very faction-oriented and divisive. You know, there's churches where, where people were just always causing problems, that they're prideful, they, they, they don't welcome you when you visit them and they, they fail to love you while you're there. I'm not, trying, I'm not speaking bad about any of the churches specifically. It's just we all have experienced that at some point. Okay, many, many people have gone to a church like that and sworn they would never go back to a church, any church again because of the bad experience that they had with those kinds of things. Okay, but, but again, we're talking about vision this morning. And none of those churches that you have experienced that are that way, that, that is a failure of their vision for that to be the case. Okay, no, no church puts on their road signs, you know, come visit our church where you're sure to be gossiped about every time you come. You know, or, or, or come visit our church. We have, we have great coffee and we'll stab you in the back as soon as you walk away. I mean, like those kinds of things, like that's, no church wants to be that way. And, I mean, by God's grace, we have not been that way. But if we fail to mature in our faith, if we fail to grow in our, our faith, if we fail to understand all that Jesus teaches us through his word, then that's the way that we get off course and start to behave in those ways. Okay, so that's why we're keeping this statement in front of us. We want to chart that course out in front of us and then follow that path to be the church that God is calling us to be. But the other thing I wanted to highlight in this passage, though, is the importance of that idea of conversion. Okay, Jesus says to go baptize people in his name. He wants us to go share the love of Jesus in such a way that people who are far from God come to experience the love of God. You know, and, and so there's probably some people in this room this morning that are, that are far from God, who aren't sure what they think about this whole Christianity thing. And our prayer is that by the way that we love you and by the way we love each other, you will see that the message we're preaching, that, that God is love, that you will be drawn to that truth by the love that we show for each other in this community. And, and then there's this great concept that, that when people come to see Jesus, and there are a lot of times there's the, uh, an effect that theologians call revival. It's this idea where, where there's a lot of people in an area who, at the same time who come to know Jesus. And so when, when we talk about conversions, we're not praying that our church would just would grow. We're praying that our community would experience revival. We're praying that Colorado Springs and Falcon and Peyton and all these places would experience revival where there's a great awakening for people who long to know God better. Uh, Tim Keller describes revival as it's a time when sleepy Christians wake up. So people that that say that they're Christians, but they take it, they're really apathetic, they don't take it serious. Revival is sleepy Christians waking up. Nominal Christians become converted. So, so people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church, but they don't really have a relationship with Jesus. Or people who, who check that box on a survey but would never actually submit their lives to Jesus. That, that's a nominal Christian coming to faith. That happens when an area experiences revival. And the last section is when hard-to-reach cases are extraordinarily converted. So people who say that they would never go to a church, they not, they not only hate the idea of going to church, they hate everyone who's there, they hate Jesus, they hate God, they hate everything. Like those hard-to-reach cases, we all know people like that. When a revival happens, the Holy Spirit moves in such a way that there's lots of people coming to faith. 
Sleepy Christians are awoken, nominal Christians are saved, and hard-to-reach cases are converted in extraordinary ways. That's what we are praying for not only our church, but our surrounding community and the cities around us and, and all the other churches in Falcon. The, the reason that it's important to mention other churches is a lot of times when we have vision statements, it turns into a really competitive kind of thing, where it's we have to have the best church so people will come to our church and not the church down the street. And that kind of mindset has nothing to do with the revival we're talking about. Okay, that mindset is, is, is views churches as competition instead of as co-laborers. So the truth is, is every gospel-believing church in Falcon is not the competition. We're not trying to steal people from them and keep our people from going to them. We're saying we're all on team Jesus, and we want to see Jesus' kingdom advance. We want to see all the churches in the area reach people for the name of Jesus and the glory of his kingdom, the expansion of what he's doing. Um, there's, a, there's a story of a, um, Robert Murray McShane was an old Scottish Presbyterian minister, and he was on a, a months-long trip, and this is the 1840s, to Jerusalem. And while he was gone, on, a revival started in his church through the, the guest preaching. Uh, and and that, the humility that he responded to that, though, where instead of viewing it as competition and jealousy, that it was someone else's preaching that led this revival, uh, he was filled with joy and humility and said that he was just grateful that people came to know Jesus. So, so the, the prayer is, we need to pray for revival to hit our city, even if it starts at the church down the street. Okay, it doesn't, it's not, it has to be our church growing. It has to be the kingdom of God advancing. And, and we, in the midst of that, we pray that we steward our church well. That's why we have this vision. We want to make sure that our particular church is a part of the whole process that God is using to draw people to himself. Um, so, okay, back to the discipleship thing, though, this, this passage. What, what it's showing is that discipleship is an entry point, baptism, and it's a growth point. It, it's being taught to obey what God tells us. And so the, the question for us as a church is, is um, this last year we have experienced a lot of growth. Okay, we're going to go over some of the numbers here, uh, here in a little bit. But God has, has blessed our church in a lot of ways. But what, what we're starting to ask as the, the elders and, and just people that care about our body here are saying, has, have we as a church matured as much as we've grown? Because it's possible to add more people to a gathering without maturing collectively as the body of Christ. And so that, that maturity process is what, is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. The, the definition we're, we're going to work at today is discipleship means that we're growing together in Christ. Okay, we're maturing together in Christ. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And so as we've stopped and asked ourselves, have we matured as much as we've grown? I think the answer we're seeing is, is that there has been some amazing events where, where God has really grown his people in our church. But, but if you take an honest assessment, and we're trying to just be humble with this, if you honestly assess it, we have not matured this year as much as we have grown. And, and that's something where we, we want to, instead of just keeping on the same course we're doing, we want to say, we, we pray that that is not the case in 2018. So we grew a lot in 2017. Our prayer is that 2018 is everyone that God has brought to this church would grow in their faith. They would mature in their faith. They would not remain stagnant or, or, or lukewarm when it comes to their affection for Jesus, but we would collectively, we would all mature in our faith. So what we're going to talk about the rest of this morning is what does it mean for us to mature together in Christ? If discipleship is maturing together in Christ, what does that look like? And the first passage we want to go to is Colossians chapter 1. If I can find it. And we're going to start in verse 27. It's Colossians 1. 
beginning in verse 27. It says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. It's the mystery of the gospel, which is Christ in you. Okay, the hope of glory. And then 28, this is kind of the theme verse for our church for this whole upcoming year, is him we proclaim, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We, we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so that, that's where we get this definition of discipleship. Discipleship is maturing together in Christ. And so we will know that we are doing what God is calling us to do this year is if as a corporate body we can say we have matured together in Christ. Now the beauty of this passage is, is it doesn't show that maturity is all up to us. It's not, okay, so now you leave here and you work really hard to make sure you grow. It says that, that Paul is working hard. He, he is investing in this process, but he's doing it, it says, with all the energy that he, that Jesus, powerfully works within him. So maturity itself is a process of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit pushes us to greater holiness and knowledge of God and love for Jesus and others. It's, it's, a, it's a process that the Holy Spirit is the one that drives. And so that's what we are to be as a community a community of mature believers who are growing together in Christ. But if we fail to be that place, if we fail to be a church that is maturing together, we have several other pictures in the Bible of what that looks like. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, verse, or sorry, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 9 says, um, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth that is probably the most messed up church in the entire New Testament. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Okay, they've failed to grow, and so they're still spiritual infants. It says, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not re yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while, the, while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Okay, that, that picture of a lack of spiritual growth, saying that you're being merely human, there's, there's jealousy and strife among you. The, the people in the church in Corinth are fighting each other. Instead of loving each other well, he goes on to say that the church must be built up, and grounded and rooted in love, and it's, it's built up in love. It becomes God's church through this process of loving each other well. But if you fail to mature in your faith, you become that church that is jealous of each other, that there's strife and tension between each other. And then he says that, he says, when some of you says, I follow Paul, and others says, I follow Apollos, he's saying that there's these factions, there's the division in the church where people are picking their favorite celebrity and saying, oh, I'm a part of Team Paul, or I'm a part of Team Apollos. You know, I'm part of the Reformed camp, or I'm part of the Arminian camp, or I'm part of the Charismatic camp, whatever it is. We have all these divisions and factions, and what that is is that's a sign of immaturity. If you are wearing on your jersey the logo of uh, whatever theological camp you fit in, it means that you're viewing that as more ultimate than Jesus. And so that's where we're saying we're part of Team Jesus. And if we grow in our faith, it will include addressing some of these theological debates. But we will not be defined by theological debates. We will be defined by the way that we love each other. And another passage that shows what an immature church looks like is Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to 14. Uh, the author says, about this we have much to say. He, he would like to teach them these deep theological truths, but he says, but it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. 
For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice of distinguishing good from evil. So he's saying that he has these wonderful things he wants to teach them so that they can go teach others. That, that's that disciples making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But he's saying the reason they're failing to do that is because they're so immature, they're still being fed milk. They're still being taught the basic principles instead of graduating and moving on to some of the, the, the actual work of ministry that they're called to do. Now, now, as Christians, we never graduate the gospel. Okay, this, by saying you're on milk instead of meat, he's not saying that there's these like basic ideas you need to graduate and move on to. He's saying you need to grow in your faith in such a way, by being rooted and, and grounded in the gospel, you mature to the point that you can then reproduce yourself spiritually. You can be a disciple who makes disciples. And, and there's, this, there's this principle in biology that's also true in uh, uh, the gospel as well, I guess is how you might explain this, that, that you reproduce what you are. And so if, if we are a group of immature disciples, we are going to reproduce immature disciples. But if we as a body of Christ are growing together in Christ, we're maturing together in Christ, we will reproduce mature disciples who reproduce mature disciples who reproduce mature disciples. That's this process, is that maturity is growing together in Christ. And, and the church in Corinth, the church that the author of Hebrews is writing to, because they were immature, they were, they were divisive and jealous, and they were fighting, and they were failing to even make disciples because they were so immature. Okay, that, that's what's at stake here. If we fail to mature as a church, we will fail to be the disciple makers that God is calling us to be. So the way that we do that, though, we, we see in Ephesians. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, so we're just all over the place this morning. This is that passage that Brandon wrote a second. He did not write it. He, he read it. If Brandon had written that, that would be, that'd be awesome. But um, it says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, this is a really important passage. He's talking about the spiritual gifts that God has given people. He says, The reason that God gives people gifts is to use in the church to equip the saints for ministry. Okay, what he's saying there is that we have been given gifts, and with that gift, that stewarding that means that you use it so other people can grow in their faith. Okay, there should never be a passive church where we sit back on our hands and watch someone else do ministry. As a church, we are collectively called to be doing the work of ministry. We are all ministers of the gospel. Okay, I, I am not a paid minister. I am one of the, the sinners at this church called pastor, and we all get to work together on this advancement of the kingdom, of this maturing together in Christ, of being disciples who make disciples. But the, when we use our gifts, it says that the, for we, the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. And we're working towards that destination. Maturity always has a, a direction that it's going. And then he says that what that destination is, is mature manhood or, or womanhood. That's a, a gender-inclusive term here. It says, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So maturity is the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. So the direction that we are moving, what it means to mature together in Christ, means that we become more and more like the person we are trying to be like. We become more and more like Christ. That's what maturity means. Uh, verse 14, so that there may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, 
by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is famous for these really long run-on sentences. But what he's saying there is that when we're doing our jobs correctly, when we are a part of the body of Christ and we're using our gifts the way that he has equipped us, it means that more people become equipped in the faith. As we mature, the water table rises and everyone collectively matures together. Now, now there's this communal, this corporate aspect of discipleship that as Americans we don't do really well with. We're all about the individual rights, the individual pride, me and Jesus, that's what it's all about. But as I was studying this week and looking at all the passages that deal with spiritual maturity, they all are written to corporate groups of believers. He's not saying you do this individually. He's saying you all, we all, you guys, everyone does this together. It's a corporate function of discipleship. You, it, you grow in your faith best, and the only way you grow in your faith, really, is when we're all a part of this same process, doing this same thing together. Okay, so, so when we say with our, our goal this year, our focus is discipleship, it doesn't mean that we're just saying, you need to get alone with Jesus more and read your Bible more. Okay, th- that is a very important aspect of what it means to grow in your faith. You need to have that vibrant personal relationship with Jesus. But it's our collective personal relationships together corporately that define the maturity level of our church. It's the individual mat- maturing that I do as a Christian, but it's also the corporate body that I'm a part of. Together, we are maturing together in Christ. And so we'll know that we have done that when we look like Jesus. Okay, now... now the, the good news and the bad news of that is, is this side of heaven, we will never look like Jesus. Okay? He, he was the perfect, sinless Savior of the world, and we are still, again, we're justified. We are righteous in God's sight because of what Jesus did, but we're still this ongoing aspect, working for greater holiness and growth in our faith. But that target we're working towards is to become more like Jesus, which means... Okay, If you're becoming more like Jesus, you will do ministry. You will do the work of ministry the way that Jesus did the work of ministry. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9. It's the last passage we'll be in before we go to our discussions. And we've used this passage a dozen times throughout the last few years because it's such a key picture of how Jesus made disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And it says in Matthew 9, 35, And Jesus went throughout all their cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And when we talk about this passage, normally we look at those verses 36 to 38. Jesus saying, you know, go into the world and make disciples. The the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. Um, The compassion that Jesus had for the crowds, he he was moved. His heart was, was inwardly in turmoil because of the way that the people he saw were experiencing harassment and the way that they were helpless. And and that's what it means to have this heart for ministry, the way Jesus has a heart for ministry. But if we're going to grow in our faith, we need to look at how Jesus Brought, uh, brought people to faith, how he, he ministered to them specifically. In verse 35 is where you see that. It says that he went through all their cities and villages. So we go to where the people are. And then he does three things. He's teaching in their synagogues. Okay, so he, he's proclaiming the truth to their heads. He, and then he says that he uh, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now that proclamation word is different than teaching. And uh, teaching is head-oriented. Proclamation is heart-oriented. 
He's connecting the desires of their hearts to the good news of the kingdom. And lastly, it says he was healing every disease and every affliction. He was doing things with his hands. So he's addressing the whole needs of the whole person. It's a very holistic approach to ministry. It's head, heart, hands. It's all three of those aspects. That's what it means to grow in our faith. So this vision we have for us this year is saying we want to be a church that matures in our discipleship. And if we're going to mature in our discipleship, we have to have all three of those working together. Okay, our, our heads need to be engaged. You need to spend time uh, reading your Bible, dwelling on the truths of God so that your mind is transformed. That, that, that we're not thinking incorrect thoughts about God, but that we're focusing on how he has revealed himself. That we need to increase in knowledge and understanding with our heads. But our hearts also need to be reoriented towards what, what, what it is that we're supposed to love. Because our hearts are the ones that are prone to wander just as much as our heads are. And so our, our hearts are drawn to love things that they shouldn't. And so we need to ask ourselves, am I stirring my affections for Jesus? And, and am I repenting of the sin that my heart wants to go to that it shouldn't? The things that I love that I shouldn't love. And then lastly, the, the hands part. We need to say, how are we meeting the needs of each other? Tangible, physical needs, but also the needs in our community. You know, are we actually going and doing the work of ministry? Or are we just getting you know, butterflies in our stomach and thinking these nice thoughts about God? You know, and it's all three of those working together, the head, heart, and hands, is what it means to mature in Christ. Because there's plenty of churches out there that are head-only churches, where they love thinking deep thoughts about God. They love memorizing scripture and memorizing systematic theologies and all of that. But they're more interested in fighting you on your wrong doctrine than they are interested in loving you and pointing you to Jesus. You know, there's, there's other heart-oriented churches out there that are, that are really good about showing the compassion of Jesus and loving the outcast and the outsider. But then when it comes time to actually pre- preach the truth and present the gospel, they get all wishy-washy and the water gets muddy because they're, they're just so affectionate for people they don't ever want to bring the truth. There's other churches that are very hand-oriented. They're always out doing stuff for Jesus but because they never spend time experiencing the love of Jesus or being recharged, they're always exhausted and worn out and they get burned out and give up because they can't keep going on their own strength. And all of those three options have parts that they're right in. We, we need to grow in our knowledge. We, we need to love the outsider. We need to go do things for Jesus. But if we do one, or, one of those things only or even two of those things, we're not doing the full orbed matura- maturation that God is calling us to. Okay, and so as a church, what we're going to be focusing on is saying, how can I, uh, what, what am I learning from God's word? We want to ask each other at our tables and in our discipleship groups, what is God teaching me from his word? That's a, that's a head question. We also want to, I think we actually have a slide for this, possibly. There we go, look at that. What am I learning from God's word? The head question. Secondly, how am I stirring my affections for Jesus and how am I repenting of my sin? Where is my heart oriented? And then, then lastly, who am I praying for and on mission with? Or you could add to that, how am I using my gifts and who am I serving? So the head, heart, hands is what it means to have full orb discipleship where we are maturing together in Christ. That's what it means to grow in our faith and to make disciples who are mature disciples who make mature disciples who make mature disciples. So uh, that is where we're going to stop for a little bit. We're going to go to our discussion tables, and we're going to have some questions here. Uh, it's a little bit different feel this morning, right? It's not, uh, we'll be back to our regular vibe here in the next few weeks, but uh, th- this topic is important enough. I wanted to get it out in front of all of us so that we can be praying for this together. 
We can be pursuing this together. And so we have three questions, well, two questions and then one assignment. And if this is your first time here, we're glad that you're here this morning, uh, glad that you're here worshiping with us. Uh, you don't have to say anything at your table if you're uncomfortable, uh, but if you are comfortable, feel free to share as much as you would like. So the, the three questions are, uh, what would a more mature you look like, and do you need growth in the head, heart, or hands most? So, so we've talked about this concept of maturity. At your table, I want you to make it personal. Like maybe you say, my, my, my head, I, I don't read enough of Scripture. I, I need to spend more time in the Bible. Or maybe you say, you know, I, I've, I really know a lot of theology, but I don't love my neighbor well. You know, so answer it personally. What does the application look like for you as an individual? And then secondly, think corporately for all of us. For those of you that have been around here longer, you'll have an easier time answering this. But what would a more mature Missio Dei Falcon look like? What are some areas that we need to shore up if we're going to collectively grow in our faith? And then lastly, uh, and this is where it gets a little awkward for some people, but um, if you come to church, you should expect to hear some praying at some point, right? So uh, we're, I'm going to give you like a two-minute warning, and we're going to spend the last two minutes at our tables just praying together. Either one bold volunteer can pray, or um, you can have sev several people pray, or just pray quietly uh, in your own head, um, and we'll then go into more of a practical, here's some changes that are coming to the church moving forward kind of thing. So ready, break. Amen. All right. Thanks, everyone, for for doing that. Um, these tables, we, we don't want to just discuss every time because not, not every sermon that we listen to, the response is, let's go talk about it. Sometimes it, it requires us to submit to that uh, by confessing our sins. Sometimes it means we need to, to put into practice what it is we've been talking about. Uh, sometimes it just means we need to ask for God's help to strengthen us in that process. So, so uh, what I'm going to do now for the next five or ten minutes before we transition into communion and worship is just talk a little bit about more practical details of what it is that we have coming up this year. We, this is a this is where we rally the troops, right? There's no horses or swords, but we're saying this is what we think um, as the, the elders, this is what we think God is calling us to do in this upcoming year. And, and the first thing is what, just tying it into the announcement that you've been hearing for the last few weeks, um, we, we are launching this week our discipleship collectives, and, and that's a new phrase we haven't used before, uh, but th that word is intentional because we want to focus on discipleship this year, uh, both discipleship as seeing new people become disciples of Jesus and also discipleship as mature in our faith together. And so, like Brandon mentioned a little bit ago, we have, we have three different lanes that we're doing that in. One is men's ministry, there's the women's ministry, and then there's the missional communities that we've had before. And so the, the sign-up email has gone out. If you're not on the email list, uh, email info at missiodefalcon.org, and you will get on that list. If you uh, want to sign up for one of the groups, you go to the website, missiodefalcon.org slash connect. This is now like the sixth time people have heard this information, so hopefully it's starting to, to sink in a little bit. We're getting uh, starting to hear what we're talking about. Um, but the reason that we are doing these three different lanes is because a lot of churches, we have, have the danger of creating more and more programs to do more and more things, and then we become more and more divided, and we don't hit the target we're looking for. And so we're saying collectively as a body of Christ this year, our target is to mature in our faith. It's to grow together in faith. And so each of these three lanes is moving towards the same target. We, we have the same definition of discipleship we're working towards. We have the same vision for the groups. And, we, and we're, we're using different curriculum for the, the women's group from the missional communities and men's groups. But that different curriculum is still all working towards that same goal. And, and the vision statement we have for these discipleship collectives is DC, our DCs, Discipleship Collectives, exist to create spaces where men and women can gather and encounter Jesus through the transforming study of his word 
experience Jesus through the love of his people, and engage the work of Jesus through missional discipleship. If you look at those three E's, the encounter, experience, engage, that fits the head, heart, hands triad we were just talking about. Uh, and and as, as a preacher, when you hear two different sets of alliteration, you know, three H's, three E's, it's like, man, this is just the work of the Spirit right here. God is clearly <laughs> doing something. Um, but, but so to that end, those three questions we had on the screen a little bit ago, like how am I growing? What is God teaching me from his word? How is my heart's affection for Jesus growing? And, and am I living out the gospel call? Am I, am I praying for someone who doesn't know Jesus? Am I loving someone who doesn't know Jesus? Who am I on mission with? Those three questions are going to be woven into every week that we get together as discipleship collectives. Okay, your, your leader should be bringing those up to you continually so that, so that by the third week when someone says, hey, who are you praying for? Uh, who are you trying to love? What, what neighbor are you investing in that, that doesn't yet know the love of Jesus? We want that question out there, not because we're trying to be creepy and an Amway salesman or anything like that. We want that question there to keep in front of us this call to love people well so that they can experience the love of Jesus themselves. That, that's the whole point of being a disciple who makes disciples who makes disciples. And so um, like I mentioned a little bit ago that our, our church has grown a lot in the last year, but we're, we're starting to question, have we matured as much as we have grown? And if you go back just, just two years, in 2015, we averaged 76 people a week here. Okay, when we first moved into the gym, we set up six tables. Uh, and then, then last year, we grew to 136 people on average a week. And then last year, we grew to 207 people on average a week. And we're currently we're averaging about 230 on a single weekend. Now, that is so exciting. I mean, like, and that God has drawn so many people to come hear the gospel every week, to grow in our faith every week. And now we're saying, like, let's not ignore the maturing of our faith. But let's ask ourselves, are we maturing as much as a church as we are growing? Because that's where the, the, the work of the gospel really becomes evident in our hearts. It's when we bump into each other and we say, you know, I, we're, we're sinners doing life together, but we're able to love each other well because we know our need for Jesus. We know our need for his grace. Um, the, the other areas that the church has grown is when we first moved to the building here three years ago, there was three kids' classrooms. There's now nine Missio Kids' classrooms back there. Uh, we, we have a total of 72 volunteers just in Missio Kids. I mean, like two years ago, we were averaging 76 people on a week. Now we have that many people uh, serving in kids every month. Like, that's an amazing testimony to how God has worked. Uh, also, last year, we had 19 people get baptized. Like, for, for a church our size, that's incredible. The 19 people pro profess their faith in Jesus and, and, and were shown the, the sacrament of baptism uh, as a testimony to the work that he has done in their hearts. That, that is an amazing example of God working in our community, uh, of seeing new people become disciples of Jesus. And now, none of this stuff that I've just told you, none of those numbers actually matter at all. Okay, so, sometimes they're helpful to help us quantify what it is that God is doing, but what God is doing is never going to be quantifiable in any number that I just gave you. Okay, uh, another a different number. Uh, we will be financially self-sustaining for the first time in our church's history uh, this year. We won't need any outside support. That's an amazing thing that God has done in our, in our midst. Uh, but it's not about our budget. It's not about how many uh, people we have on a week. It's not about how many kids' classrooms. It's are we disciples of Jesus who are making mature disciples of Jesus? You know, and, and the good part of it is, is you, can, you can grow in attendance without growing in maturity, but you can't mature in your faith as a church without also growing in attendance. Because as we mature together, we will be disciple makers who make disciples. 
which means there'll be more people coming to faith in Jesus because of what Jesus is doing in our heart. And so then we'll have more baptisms next year that we can celebrate because of the work that God has done in our hearts. Again, it's not about any of those numbers, but they're just ways of saying, if God has been working in our church this way, how is it that we can better focus on what it means to be a disciple maker of Jesus? And so that, that's why these discipleship collectives are so important. And we really want everyone who considers Missio Day their home church to plug into one of those lanes. Now, I, I think it would be better if we all pick one lane. Don't try to be in three different groups because it just divides your attention and you're not able to focus and go as deep as you want. Because another, another thing we want with these groups is we want them to be smaller numbers than what our missional communities have been in the past. Because some of our groups before have been 30 people or more. And that's really hard to get 30 people together and say, now let's share what's going on in your heart because, or let's confess our sins to each other because in a group that big, it's just not possible to go deep that well. So our, our groups are trying to keep the group sizes smaller so we can have those genuine, in-depth relationships that point each other to Jesus. Um, we're doing nine-week quarters. So they start this week. They're, all the groups will end in nine weeks. And then we'll have a three-week break, and then we'll start up again with another nine-week quarter. And again, these groups are working on doing the work of ministry, of focusing on discipleship so that we can grow together in our faith. Um, and then lastly, if that is the focus for this year, um, and we think that, that growing in our discipleship is a key thing, then, then as um, this is actually another exciting chapter for our church, we're, we're in the process of hiring another full-time pastor to come on staff here at Missio Day, uh, and he will be a discipleship pastor. And so, again, go back to that uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse where, where God gives leaders in the church to equip the saints for ministry. So having a discipleship pastor does not mean that we have one guy doing all the discipleship work. It means that he is the chief equipper of disciples who make disciples. Okay, if this is something we say we want to focus on, we want someone whose who's full-time job is leading our church in that way. So we are, we are in the middle of interviewing some candidates for that position, and I really would appreciate you guys' prayers for that, for our church, that, that as we make this next hire, that he would be the, the right guy that God has for the job and would help equip the saints for all the ministry that God is calling us to in this upcoming year. Um, and then another little logistic thing that's happened is we, we now have... Um, various team leads that are overseeing different areas of ministry. So we have people in charge of setup and teardown and different kids' classrooms and uh, the usher teams and, and all those different things. And so we're, we're diversifying the number of leaders we have in the church, which means that it's, it's more important than ever for us to focus on our maturing in our faith. Because there's now so many more people that we can bump into. And, and, and if we don't continually go towards that same direction of maturing together in Christ, it's very likely for a church that's at this phase that we're at to become divided and have factions that are each working for their own agenda instead of working towards the kingdom that God is calling us to be a part of advancing. Um, and then the, the last thing, the, the announcement, and this is something I would like you all to pray about as well, is we would like in 2018 to start a church planning residency. So, so we as a church, we're, we'll be five years old in, in May. We're going to have our, our five-year-old birthday or whatever. We're going to do a cake or something like that. Um, and, and we're at the point now where we're saying God has blessed our church. We are able to be financially self-sustaining. But our, our vision has always been to be a church that plants churches. Just like, just like disciples make disciples, a healthy church starts as a church plant and then plants other churches and new churches start so that more people can become disciples of Jesus. So, so this is a big transition for our church. Uh, it's, it's really an exciting phase. It's also uh, going to require a lot of faith on all of our parts to continue to press forward with the vision. And so we don't know what, um, we haven't yet finalized what this church planting residency would look like, but the goal is that within, um, a, a two, within two years, maybe 18 months, we would be able to send out our first 
first group of people to go plant a church in another part of town so they can be making disciples who make disciples. And I should never have said a date. I have no idea how long it's going to take because as soon as you say within 18 months, we're like, okay, I'm starting the clock. Now we'll see what happens. Uh, but anyway, that is something to be, to be praying about. And, and along those lines, a lot of the questions we get asked um, is when are we going to start our building campaign? You know, when is it we're going to no longer be setting up in a gym, but we're going to have our own building? And that's one of those answers where I, I have no idea. Um, we, we, what we are committed to, though, what, what I personally would love to see is us as a church, I would like to see us plant our first church before we begin our building campaign. Because, because a building campaign, trying to get our own building, that communicates we're very focused on us and what are we doing here. But when you send out a group of people to start a new church, that shows you're focused on the kingdom. And it's about what is God doing out there. Now, now, I do pray that eventually we would have a, a building of our own so we're not having to set up and tear down every week and we can have some more programs for the community and things like that. But th- that should never come at the cost of taking us off mission, of being a church that, that loves our community well and wants to see people far from Jesus come to know Jesus. Okay, that, that's what all of this is ultimately about. And so under this maturing in Christ umbrella, what we're really praying goes back to that, that discussion of revival we talked about a little bit ago. We're praying that God would so work in, in our church and in all the other churches in the area that we would see a revival in our community where people that are sleepy Christians wake up, nominal Christians become Christians, and those who are hard to reach become extraordinarily saved. Okay, that's what we want to see. And, and as a church, we want to be a part of that movement. We want to model our desire for that by having the humility to know that God alone is the one who can bring that kind of revival. So, so we're going to transition now into our time of communion and worship Jesus because ultimately he's the only one that can save anyone. Uh, we can't mature ourselves. We can't mature each other. It's a work of the Holy Spirit that does that. So we want to show our dependence on him. But, but back to the revival thing. There's one interesting commonality. Every time God does this extraordinary work where he does a, re- a revival, it's always preceded by a time of repentance, It always begins with God's people confessing their sin, cleaning out their junk, and and, and confessing their dependence on God, recognizing that we are sinners in need of God's grace. And so this morning, after I pray for us, we're going to all recite the prayer of confession together. It's it's an old liturgical prayer that just unites us all on this footing of saying, we need to know that we are sinners compared to God's holiness but we are so grateful for God's mercy that he has showered upon us by sending his son to die in our place, which is why we do communion every week. It's not just juice and bread. It's the sacrament that nourishes our souls and points us to the fact that, that you're, you're, we were all such sinners that Jesus had to die for us. His blood had to be shed for us. His body was broken for us, but we're so dearly loved by him. He went to the cross willingly. Okay, Jesus wasn't this, this child that the father sent to the cross to punish him. Jesus willingly went to the cross to take on the sins of the world upon himself so that we could all be united with the Father again if we put our faith in him. So let's stand together and pray, uh, and then we'll worship Jesus in song, and, and, and we'll say this prayer of confession together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the amazing work that you've done in our lives, uh, in our church. The, the, the grace that you have showered upon us is so undeserved. And God, we, uh, we can never... Um, We never graduate our need for your grace. Help us to never view the gospel as something that is just an entry point. Help us to always understand that we are as dependent on your grace after we've been saved for decades. Uh, We're just as dependent then as we have been the first time we come to understand it. 
as we partake of the, the bread representing your body and the, the juice that points us to your blood that was shed for us, may, may these elements nourish our souls and point our hearts to the fact that it's only in the cross that we can find hope. And God, we, we pray for Falcon and for Colorado Springs and for Peyton and all the surrounding areas. God, we pray that you would pour out your grace on our communities, that there would be an, an amazing work of your Holy Spirit where people that are, are far from you are brought close to you through the power of your grace. I pray that we would, would see a revival in our towns and in our lives and in our church as we, um, as we pursue you with all of our hearts. And God, we, we know that, that uh, if it were not for your grace, we would have no hope. And so now it's out of that, God, that posture of humility that we pray this prayer of confession together now.